Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. While you're turning there, um, it is my uh, joy and privilege to introduce you guys to someone you uh, haven't officially met yet. That would be my wife, uh, Mackenzie Carter. Um, so it is, it is a joy and privilege to be here worshiping with you guys together. Um, we missed you guys last week, um, but we were getting married, so uh, we figured it was probably a good reason to miss. So uh, we are here this week, and we are excited to worship with you guys and to get into the Word this morning in Titus uh, chapter 2. Let me pray for our time in the Word, uh, and we'll get into the passage. Heavenly Father, I thank you for uh, what a privilege it is to worship together. Uh, I thank you that we have this time to, to grow in our relationship with you, that we can pour out praise and glory towards you, God, that we can, we can sing with all the joy and, and satisfaction that you've brought us in life, and we can then open up your word and be shaped and molded further into your image. So, God, I pray that that happens this morning, that we would have eyes to see what you want us to see, ears to hear what you're telling us this morning, and a heart that is longing to, to apply what you teach us into our lives. God, I pray that we would leave here this morning better because of our time in the word this morning. It's in the precious holy name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. When I was little, I slept with a nightlight. Now, this is a, uh, a Spider-Man nightlight, so it's a lot cooler than it sounds. But uh, I did. I slept with a nightlight. And so one night, uh, the, the light was unplugged. And I took it upon myself to plug it back in, right? I was a little scared. There were a lot of monsters out there. And I wanted to make sure that my one light would protect me. And so I, I got out of bed. I went and picked up the, uh, the night light. And the problem was when it, when, they, when it was unplugged, it was left in the on position. And when I picked it up, I picked it up by the metal prong. And so I went to plug it back in to uh, the, the socket. Uh, it shocked me and sent a, a shock of electricity up my arm. Uh, I, I chunked the nightlight. I broke it, actually. Um, but I, I threw it halfway across the room because I, I had experienced this kind of shock uh, in my hand. Uh, and the problem was I didn't really know how electricity worked. And I thought I was going to die because I thought it was like poison. I thought that once, like once I got it, uh, I figured it was just going to work in my system somehow and kill me very slowly. And so I went back to bed freaked out, um, thinking I just got electrocuted and I'm going to die. And uh, so I woke up the next morning and I'm, I, was, I was terrified. Right? I was thinking that I, I'm, I'm, I'm going around all day thinking that I'm going to die, that this is, this is the end of me, that I got shocked to death last night. And so I'm, after a few hours of uh, contemplating my own mortality, I, I walked up to my dad and I said, hey, dad, um, how long does it take for electricity to kill something? And uh, I, I imagine from his end, it's probably a really weird question to, to receive. It's like, what kind of serial killer, sociopath question is that? Um, and uh, so he didn't want to give me too much information, I guess. And he said, well, you know, it depends. Sometimes it could be really fast. Sometimes it could take a long time. And to me, that was the worst answer I could have received. So I went the rest of the day just freaked out, like walking. I was, I was my shoulders slumped. I'm like, I'm going to heaven. Like, this is, this is the end of my life. You know, like, this is the end of me. And uh, I finally went to bed that night and said a little prayer, just begging God to let me wake up in the morning. Um, and when I woke up in the morning, I decided I'd survived this bout of electricity poisoning, um, that I probably wasn't going to die. Uh, the thing was, I, I didn't actually get electrocuted, right? Like, I didn't, I, I got shocked. I had a brief brush with electricity, but I never really encountered electricity to the fullest extent. If there's a, a live wire, a, a, a high voltage wire with electrical current running through it, and you grab hold of it, everything in you changes. 
right? Your, your status changes from not electrocuted to electrocuted, but everything about you changes. Your arms and their movements change. Your legs and their movements change. The way your internal organs function changes. The, your hairstyle changes. Like everything, everything about you changes when you grab hold of a, a, a fully live electric wire, when you fully, truly experience electricity. I didn't get that because I just had a brush with electricity. My fear is that so many of us have just had a brush with the grace of God, but have never truly, fully grabbed hold and experienced the fullness of the grace of God. Because when you and I think of God's grace, what we think of a lot, and the only thing that we tend to go back to is a status change. When we sing of God's grace, when we celebrate God's grace, we go back to the moment that we were saved, the moment that we went from non-Christian to Christian, the moment that we went from, from sinner to saint. We go back to that moment, and we, we celebrate that moment, and we praise God for that moment, and that is all that we think about when we think about the grace of God. We think about the moment that our status changed, but the grace of God is so much greater than that. And what we're going to see in Titus chapter 2 is that God's grace doesn't just change your status. It changes your life. God's grace doesn't just produce this, this status change for you in the eyes of God. God's grace changes everything about you when you truly, fully encounter the grace of God. We're going to read in Titus chapter 2, beginning in verse 11. It says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. What we're going to see this morning is that God's grace does two things. Number one, God's grace does change our status. Look with me in verse 11. The grace of God has appeared, and what has it, what has it appeared to do? It brought salvation for all people. When the grace of God intersects our lives, when we truly, fully encounter the grace of God, it changes our status before God. We read later on in the passage um, that the, the grace of God is brought about by the death and resurrection of Jesus. And so when we place our faith in Jesus, that changes our status before God. Think with me just for a moment on the beauty of the grace of God when it comes to changing our status. What is your status before God? How do you stand before God? I mean, we painted this picture a few months ago in Ephesians chapter 2, and we, we saw it time and again throughout the Bible story that our status before God is not pretty. Like on our own, when we stand before God, we are broken sinful, rebellious people. We are, we are totally imperfect, unholy people. When we stand before a holy, perfect God, our standing before him is not pretty. Like we, it doesn't take a lot of self-reflection to understand and to realize that we're not perfect people. Like you don't have to look very far in your life to realize that we've fallen short of God's standard of perfection and beauty and glory and holiness. There are things in our lives that are broken. There's, there's that constant desire to lie, that, that, that need to, 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 to embellish your life, to make yourself feel better, to look better before other people, that, 
that, that pull to anger, that, that quick uh, rash responses to uh, emotional stimuli, that, that, that hatred that burns up inside of you. There's the, the lust that constantly pulls you back. There's the, 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 the t- addictions and the temptations that keep bringing you back time and again. It doesn't take long to look into your life to realize that you're not perfect. That you are not holy. And that God's standard for your life of perfection, you have fallen so far short of that. And so your standing before God is as someone who is broken, as someone who is sinful, as someone who has rebelled against God, and as someone who deserves an eternal separation from God in hell. That is your standing before God. That's my standing before God on my own. And the problem is broken people can't fix ourselves. Right? Have you ever seen a mirror that shattered just pick itself back together? Like, have you ever seen anything broken fix itself and bring itself back together? You need an outside force to fix it because broken people can't fix brokenness. Sinful, rebellious people can't fix their sinful condition, their sinful hearts. They are, we are desperately broken before God. And if we stood before a holy, perfect God, he would denounce us and, and, and claim over us this claim of guilty. A verdict of guilty, and we would be separated from God forever in hell. That is our status before God. It's not a pretty picture. But if we, if we just look at our life for half a second, we know that it's true. But the grace of God appeared. By the death and resurrection of Jesus, by the blood of Jesus spilled on the cross and his resurrection from the grave, the grace of God appeared for you and me to bringing salvation for all people. That all people there does not mean that everybody is saved. All people there means that the opportunity of salvation extends to people of all nations, of all tribe, of every tongue, that all people in all places have the opportunity to receive the grace of God. They can grab hold of the fullness of the power of the grace of God, and their status can change from sinner to saint. By the death and resurrection of Jesus, your status can change from enemy of God to child of God. By the death and resurrection of Jesus, your status can change from, from, from the wrath of God to the peace with God. Like by Christ, the grace of God has come, bringing salvation for all people. God's grace does change our status. We need to celebrate that and praise that and think about that. When we think about the grace of God, we need to remember that we have had a status change with God because of his grace. We didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. We didn't bring it upon ourselves. It is only by the grace of God, only by the death and resurrection of Jesus, that our status has changed before God, that we have been saved. We have gone from death to life. Our status before God has changed because of his grace. There's a guy named uh, Walter McMillian. He grew up in a, uh, uh, several decades ago, a young black man, he grew up in a, a really racist part of the country uh, and was accused of uh, murdering a young white woman. Uh, and he was tried uh, and found guilty by a racist judge and jury on very little evidence and was convicted to die, uh, was, was sentenced to die by execution. So Walter McMillian, he, he lived on death row for decades. He, uh, he always had the, the, the sentence of death looming over him. 
And unlike Walter McMillian, you and I actually deserve the sentence of guilty, the, the, the sentence of death hanging over us. Unlike him, you and I are broken, and when we stand before God, we did rebel against him, and when he passes judgment upon us, he, he deems us guilty. We earned that. And so when he gives us the sentence of eternal separation from God in hell, we deserved that. That's what we earned. We have that looming over us because that's what we received, what we earned with our brokenness and our sinfulness. There's a young lawyer who was deeply passionate about equal justice for all, and he, uh, he took on Walter McMillian's case, and he took it through the justice system and took it up, uh, and after numerous appeals and going above the heads of, of prosecutors and judges who didn't want anything to do with it, he finally got a retrial for McMillian and finally got his case dismissed altogether. And so in one instant, Walter McMillian was standing before the judge and he had the, the, the sentence of death looming over him, the verdict of guilty placed upon him. And then in the next instant, he was declared innocent. There was no more ver- sentence of death looming over him. There was no more execution in his future. He was deemed innocent and cleared of all charges. When you and I place our faith in Jesus, the grace of God changes our status from guilty to innocent. The grace of God changes our status before him as sinner to saint, and we have been set free from the pain of sin and death. We've been set free from the the, the verdict of guilty and the sentence of eternal separation from God in hell. And that is no more looming looming over us because of the uh, the grace of God that has been bestowed upon us when we truly grab hold of the grace of God and are all are enraptured by the grace of God and have placed our faith in Jesus, we are set free from sin and death, and our status changes before God. The problem is, in American churches, we are content to stop at the end of verse 11. Far too often, we are content to say that grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people, and then we leave it at that. Because it's really easy to count the amount of people who say they have a status change. It's really easy to measure this work of God's grace. To say, and what we do is we try to make it as easy as possible for someone to declare that they've had a status change. We give them a, a piece of paper to check a box and say that they've had this status change. Or we give them a sentence to repeat and say that they've had a status change. Or we make it as simple and easy as possible for people to say, yeah, I have had this status change. And we celebrate that as if they've had the fullness of the grace of God. But if you had asked me when I was a kid, I would have told you that I got electrocuted. I would have told you that I experienced the great and awesome power of electricity. But all I did was have a brush with it. I would have told you my status changed from not electrocuted to electrocuted, but it didn't. All I did was have this brush with electricity. And far too many people in the United States are walking around declaring that they've had a status change, declaring that they are Christians, when in reality all they've had is a brush with the grace of God. They've never truly, fully grabbed hold of the fullness of the grace of God and allowed it to change everything about them. And we celebrate a a mere shadow, a mere mere tiny portion of the grace of God when all that we celebrate is is this declaration of a, a status change. 
Like, don't get me wrong, we need to celebrate this status change. There's nothing more amazing in life than when someone goes from death to life, than when someone goes from broken to made whole, when someone goes from sinner to saint. There's nothing more incredible than that moment of the status change. But the status change doesn't happen because of some brush with the grace of God. It happens when they grab hold of the fullness of the grace of God and allow it to change everything about them. Because when that happens, the grace of God doesn't just change their status changes their life. That's the second thing we see in this text, that the grace of God changes everything about us and changes our lives. Look with me in verse uh, 12. The grace of God has appeared training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify us for himself, a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. As I mentioned, we in, in American churches love to stop at verse 11, but the rest of this passage is still dealing with the grace of God appearing. The grace of God appeared and brought, brought salvation for all people, but it also changes our lives, and it does it in two ways. Number one, and trains us to renounce what's wrong. Let's look again in verse 12. The grace of God has appeared training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. So when, when we truly grab hold of the grace of God, when the God's grace and its fullness intersects our life, it trains us to renounce the things that are wrong in our life, to abandon the things that are wrong and sinful and broken. When we truly encounter God's grace, when we truly are set free from sin and death by God, we will no longer want to do the things that we did before. We will no longer seek after and try to embody the things that we did before. Instead, we will begin to abandon and jettison and get rid of the things in our lives that are not conforming to God's plan for us. We begin to get rid of the things in our lives that don't glorify God. We will begin to abandon and renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. I knew a young man who was an alcoholic. And every night after work, he would, he would drive uh, through and get a, uh, a bottle of vodka every night after work. And he would come home and he would drink that bottle uh, either until he passed out or until the bottle was done. And he did this night after night after night after night, every single night because he was broken, he was in pain, he was trying to drown out his sorrows. And then he found Jesus. And he encountered the fullness of the grace of God. And this wasn't a little brush with God's grace. This was the fullness of the grace of God. And he, he is, his status changed. Like when he, when he fully experienced the grace of God, he placed his faith in Jesus and he went from death to life. He was now a saint in the eyes of God. He was made righteous before God. He was a, he was a Christian. And his status had changed. And because of that, the grace of God began to work in his life, and he began to get rid of the things in his life that weren't glorifying and honoring to God. So he stopped drinking altogether. Overnight, he stopped drinking because he knew that his alcoholism was not bringing glory and praise to God. And so the grace of God, when he truly grabbed hold of it, it began to shape and mold every facet of his life, and he began to get rid of the things that weren't glorifying and praising to him. I think in my own life, when I was little, I used to have a really quick, hot temper, and I could get angry on the on a dime. 
But as I've encountered the grace of God, I'm not perfect. But as I've encountered and seen the grace of God work in my life, we've begun to, it has trained me to jettison and get rid of the, the things in my life that aren't glorifying and honoring to him, which means getting rid of the, the hot temper, the quick anger, and, and adding on patience. And so when you grab hold of the fullness of the grace of God, when you really experience it in its fullest, you begin to abandon the things in your life that do not glorify him. God's grace trains you and propels you to, to renounce the things that are wrong in your life. The second way that it changes your life is it trains you to embody what's right. It doesn't just change you to, uh, to uh, train you to renounce what's wrong. It trains you to embody what's right. Look with me again in verse 12. The grace of God has appeared training us to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. So it's not just a negative training us to get rid of this or training us to get rid of that. It's training us to do this, to do that. It's training us to add things to our lives that we've never done before that bring praise and honor and glory to God. It is beginning to conform our lives into the image of Jesus. When we truly grab hold of God's grace, we'll begin to do things that we've never done before. We'll begin to think thoughts that we've never thought before. We'll begin to, to live in a way that we've never lived before because it's the way that God has designed for us to live. We'll begin to see with eyes that we, like we've never seen before. We'll begin to see the needs of the people around us. We'll begin to see the brokenness and the hurt and the pain in the people around us. And we will ha- live with a, a generosity that we've never lived with before. Uh, when my mom was diagnosed with breast cancer, we had family after family after family after family bring us meals and cards and gifts. Um, and and what, we, what struck us was just the, the sheer generosity of the people of God. When Kenzie and I were planning our wedding, we had so many people come up to us and offer this or that and say, uh, and, and offer to let us use this or that. And, and again, what struck us was just the pure generosity of the people of God, this mindset that says our resources are not mine to live with to the fullest my entire life, but to use for the kingdom of God. This, this incredible generosity is what characterized the people of God for us. And when you begin to really lay hold of the grace of God, when, it, when you allow it to shape and transform your life, you begin to do things you've never done before, like live generously. And to use your resources to see people's needs and begin to meet them. You begin to, to reach people with the gospel. You begin to share this grace with people that you've never met before. You begin to share this grace with people that you interact with on a daily basis, but that you know now need the grace of God. Like, why would somebody go halfway across the world on a mission trip? It's to bring the grace of God to people who have never heard the gospel. It's because they are so enraptured by the grace of God, they have fully grabbed hold of it. It has so changed their life that they can't help but go out and reach lost people with the gospel. They can't help but bring the message of grace to people who have never heard it before. God has not only taken out the things in their lives that don't glorify him, he's begun to add to their lives things that bring him glory and honor and praise, like taking his name to the world. And so if we're people that, that are truly enraptured with the gospel, if we're people who are, have truly grabbed hold of the grace of God, then we're going to be people that reach Roanoke, and, and North Lake, and South Lake, and West Lake, and Trophy Club, and Grapevine with the gospel. We're going to be people that reach the nations with the gospel. Because the grace of God adds to us 
works and deeds and things that we've never done before. It propels us to go and to do things that we've never thought about doing before because it changes everything about us. The grace of God doesn't just change your status, it changes your life. It doesn't just change your standing before God, it changes everything about you. And we see in verse 13 that this isn't a, uh, this isn't something that happens overnight. You don't grab hold of the grace of God and immediately become perfect. But we see in verse 13 that you know, we are trained to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. So, so we, are, uh, we are embarking on a process of continually learning, continually looking more like Jesus, continually getting rid of the things in our lives that don't bring glory and honor to God and adding to our lives the things that bring him praise and glory. We are continually getting rid of the things like alcoholism and anger that, that bring God glory, uh, that, that don't bring God glory. We're continually adding to our lives things like evangelism and prayer and giving that, that do bring him glory and praise. And there's this, this process that happens, and we're never going to reach perfection. We're never going to, to become that, that fullness of that person that we're supposed to be, but it's a process where every single one of us who have truly laid hold of the grace of God and truly experienced the fullness of the grace of God are trending in the right direction. And we are trending in that direction until either we go home or Christ comes to get us. Because we are waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And in case you and I are, uh, are tempted to believe that it's our, uh, our own doing, in case you and I are tempted to believe that we're responsible for our growth, that we're responsible for looking more like Jesus, that, that it's just by pure discipline and pure power and willpower that we're, we're going to grow, we see in verse 14 that Jesus Christ gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. It is by the death and resurrection of Jesus that we change. It is by the death and resurrection of Jesus that the grace of God intersects with our life and changes everything about us. And as I mentioned before, we are, uh, and, and American church is trained to think way too shallowly about the grace of God. We are, we are way too easy, uh, ready to celebrate things that, that are not truly big works of God's grace. We are really quick to celebrate someone just checking a box and, and proclaiming that they have a life change. When in reality, what the, what, what the Bible is proclaiming here as the, the work of God's grace is an entire change of someone's life. When we talk about the death and resurrection of Jesus, again, we usually will talk about salvation, that status change. And that's all that comes to mind. We think about the, the fact that we go from death to life. We think about that status change before God. But when when Paul talks about the status change, when Paul talks about the death and resurrection of Jesus here in Titus chapter 2, look what he says. Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. So when Paul is talking about the death and resurrection of Jesus here, he isn't talking about just a status change. He's talking about an entirely changed life. Someone who has been redeemed and rescued from lawlessness and brokenness and sinfulness and someone who has been purified before God and is zealous and ready to do good works. 
The grace of God doesn't just change your status. It changes everything about you. If we're going to be a church that's going to reach people with the gospel, if we're going to be the church that God has called us to be, we have to be a church that is enraptured with the idea of the grace of God. We have to be a church that has grabbed hold of the fullness of the grace of God, that is not satisfied with some cheap experience or brushed with God's grace, but that is excited and ready to lay hold of the fullness of the grace of God, to immerse ourselves in all of God's grace and in the blood of Jesus, to celebrate the life that we can have in him, and to allow God's grace to change us entirely. We have to be people that aren't content with just saying that we're Christian. We have to be people who allow God's grace to get rid of the things in our lives that don't bring glory and praise to God, and to add to our lives the things that praise him. We have to be people that allow God's grace to change everything about us. We can't just be people who say that we have a status change. We have to be people who say that we have a life change because of the gospel, because of grace. This morning, we're going to sing. In just a moment, we're going to sing. And I don't care if you've been to church once or a thousand times. You can say that you've had a status change. You can call yourself a Christian, but if you've never truly, fully experienced a life change, then you have never truly experienced the fullness of the grace of God. You may have experienced a brush with God's grace. You may have had an emotional reaction to a moment of God's grace, but you have never truly, fully experienced the grace of God in your life if you've never had a life change. If your faith has not changed you, then it hasn't saved you. So this morning, I want to give you an opportunity to truly, fully experience the grace of God in your life. If, you, if this morning you can say that you have never actually experienced God's grace, that you've never had that life changed, then I would want nothing more than to have the opportunity to share with you what the grace of God means. What it means to fully, truly encounter that grace. So as we sing, I'll be standing right here. And if this morning, for the first time, you want to fully, truly experience the grace of God, come talk to me. And begin to experience the life change, not just the status change, but the life change that comes from the grace of God. Let me pray for us, and we'll sing. Heavenly Father, Your grace is better than anything that we can come up with. God, your grace completely blows my mind. Because on our own, our own status before you is, is people that are broken and sinful. Our own status before you is people who are, who are separa separated from you and deserve to be eternally separated from you in hell. Yet, God, you sent your son Jesus to die on a cross for us so that you could pour out your grace upon us, that our status could be changed before you, and we could go from, from unrighteous to righteous. We could go from wrath to peace. We could go from enemies, uh, your enemies, to your children. And more than that, God, you have poured out your grace to change us and mold us into your image, to get rid of the things in our lives that do not praise you, and to add to our lives the things that the thing that do. God, this morning I pray that if there's anybody here 
who has only had a brush with your grace, who has only had a brief encounter with your grace, but has never truly, fully experienced your grace and never grabbed hold of it and allowed it to change everything about them. God, I pray that this morning would be the day where they lay hold of your grace for the very first time when they truly experience the fullness of your glory and grace. God, I pray that they would come and talk to me about what it means to follow you. I pray that we would be a church that are that is defined by your grace and is constantly growing and, and being molded and shaped into your image. And that we would be a church that is that is emboldened and mobilized and energized by your grace. It's the great, precious, and holy name of Jesus that we pray.